0: Hello, everybody. Uh, If you're visiting and you don't know who I am, my name is Joel, and I'm the lead pastor here at the Gospel Tab, so thank you for joining us. Uh, Today, we're going to be in the book of Revelation. Um, Last week, we were in Genesis. This week, we're going to be in Revelation chapter 7, so you can turn there in your Bibles. It will be on the screen as well. You can get there on your device, whatever's best for you. Um, this is our second installment in a series on reconciliation. This is one of our values as a Gospel Tab family, and not just as a Gospel Tab family, but also as a family on mission that expresses itself week to week in a network of businesses, nonprofit organizations, um, missional communities that meet in houses, and now some church plants, um, and so that network is extending into the city of pittsburgh and i just want to acknowledge um, that you know we throw these words around um, you know about the church and the greenhouse lab and the network and one thing that is definitely an indication of a true movement is that these things are hard to categorize um, because this stuff is multiplying and changing Um, i'm not going to say too much about it but one thing I, i want you to know Is in recent months and really we did not even know this until recent months um, But in recent months we have just made really fast friends uh, with movements similar to ours in different cities Um, So we now have friends in Indianapolis and Kansas City Uh, We've had some friends in Tampa for a while Nashville now Um, folks who are experiencing a, a very similar move of God but it shares some characteristics it's decentralized in many ways it's nameless and faceless um, the you know there aren't like celebrity pastors um, in the midst of it there's a lot of shared leadership prayer and fasting is a priority and often the churches that are present in these movements are really modest sized churches um, but are doing ministry in these multiplying ways um, and it feels to us i was kind of marveling with some of our leaders It feels to us like just in the last four to five years um, That God has been birthing some kind of renewal in North America, and uh, somehow we found ourselves part of it Um, And I really can't attribute that to anything except for Jesus's grace because it is not as if trust me It is not as if four or five years ago uh, We set out to be part of this Um, We're kind of just discovering that this is happening, but I'm really grateful for our friends in other cities um, because we're learning a lot from them, and uh, I think God is going to do some things in those relationships, and what's interesting is there's similarities, but there's also significant differences, too. Um, one thing that marks kind of all these movements is that uh, there's an emphasis on listening to the voice of Jesus, and so it looks different uh, from community to community and from city to city, um, But I'm excited for that. So when I preach these value messages on our values, I'm preaching to us, the Gospel Tab family, but I'm also preaching to that wider family. The vast majority of in the Pittsburgh region does not attend the Gospel Tab, um, but they are part of our network. And uh, there's probably so many people in our network that you haven't met. Um, I'm I'm often finding things out after the fact. It's just really interesting how it's all working. Um, And so somehow the Gospel Tab is linked into that, and I think we play a specific role yeah, particularly in prayer and fasting, but also in uh, discipling folks and also in giving some shape to our values So one of those values is reconciliation You can see it painted on the wall out here And I was saying last week, this is one of our values first and foremost because we believe it's a biblical value um, There's no cultural pressure on us to make this a value of ours Um, We believe that part of the vision of the New Testament is to reconcile people across lines of race and class. And so this is why we talk about it, because we believe that this is what the kingdom of God is doing. But it's also a contextual issue, because it's a global issue. Anywhere you go, uh, you will find groups of people that try to establish dominance and power over other groups of people. Anywhere you go on the planet, you're going to find that. It's certainly an issue in American history. I don't have to tell you um, that this is kind of baked into our history. Different classes and castes of people were created by law at the earliest founding of our nation, even in the drafting of the Constitution. Um, and it's also a local issue uh, because we live in a place that is divided um, along lines of race and class. You will not find very many places in Beaver County. Uh, where people who look different than each other are worshiping together. Um, it is very, very rare. And so we see this as a particular demonic stronghold um, on our area, and we want to see breakthrough, amen? Like, we want to see Jesus' birth reconciliation, and so we're asking him to do that. Last week, I did not read our value statement. Um, when we put these value statements together years, a couple years ago, Uh, We were just trying to really articulate what we understood the church to be, and this is our statement on reconciliation. So I'm just going to read it for you, and it will be on the screen behind me. Jesus is both an exclusive and universal Savior. He is the only way to the Father, but also the Savior of every ethnic group. Cultures often exhibit evidence of the goodness of God. The kingdom also challenges the idolatries of every culture. We prefer indigenous leadership and expressions of the gospel in every culture, and we seek the intentional reconciliation of people across lines of ethnicity and socioeconomic class because we are incomplete without one another. This includes seeking reconciliation and justice, where power has been historically used in dominance against another group of people. So this is going to be our second sermon on this. Next week, Kiara and I are going to preach together on the third installment. And in the week following, Jake, who is leading worship today, is going to preach with me for the fourth. Um, So I'm really grateful to, to be in front of you today with this. So last week, when we started this series, we looked at the book of Genesis, the beginning of the scriptures, to understand what it is that God made human beings to be. And we talked about what it meant To be created in his image and the dignity and value that comes with being created in the image of god this week we're looking to the very end of scripture the book of revelation to understand the future not just of individuals but of groups of people that have been made in his image so we aren't just individuals we're part of groups and the picture we're going to look at in revelation is what these groups mean in the future These groups of people who are made in his image. And it's in understanding God's intentions at the beginning of Scripture and at the end of Scripture that we can locate in the present what it is that God is calling us to participate in when it comes to mission and when it comes to reconciliation. So to understand the end of the story, we're going to read part of the Apostle John's vision that he had when he was in exile On the island of Patmos. One day uh, he was worshiping while he was in exile, essentially a prisoner, and he was caught up in the spirit um, on a Sunday, and he had a vision of things to come. He recorded that vision down, and it's part of that vision that we're going to read today, particularly part of the vision where John is able to see the into heaven. So I'm going to ask you to stand to your feet. Um, We're going to read Revelation chapter seven. Um, verses 9 through 17. I'll just read it today, and you can just uh, follow along in your mind and in your heart. It says this, After this I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count, from every nation, tribe, people, and language, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. They were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands. And they cried out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God. Who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. All the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures. They fell down on their faces before the throne and worshiped God, saying, Amen. Praise and glory and wisdom and thanks and honor and power and strength be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Then one of the elders asked me, These in white robes, who are they and where did they come from? I answered, Sir, you know. And he said, These are they who have come out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Therefore, they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will shelter them with his presence. Never again will they hunger, never again will they thirst. The sun will not beat down on them, nor any scorching heat. For the Lamb at the center of the throne will be their shepherd. He will lead them to springs of living water, and God will wipe every tear from their eyes. Beautiful passage, amen? Can we just give thanks to God for our future in him? Amen. You can take your seat. Okay, let's just observe three simple things from this vision John has into what is happening in heaven, this future reality in heaven. There's a lot of things we could pull out of the passage, but I'm just going to pull out three for our purposes today. First of all, it's this that Jesus is the exclusive and universal savior. Um, He's universal because he is the savior of every group of people um, that is on the earth today and every group of people that has ever existed. He is the savior of them all, he's a universal savior. And yet probably the most controversial thing we believe as followers of Jesus is that Jesus is an exclusive savior. That in the future, everything Centers on this one person, on this one man. That all, where all of the all of history is headed, where all of the present is headed, is to the worship of this one person, and to his lordship, the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, but gathered around him is all of this diversity, every nation, tribe, people, and language. Um, this means two things. We'll say more about in just a second. It means that Jesus is calling to himself every ethnic group, that he's calling to himself every kind of person. Um, But it also means that Jesus is also challenging the idolatries of every culture of people, that his lordship, his kingship, is a challenge to false kings, to false lordships that are present in every culture. And we'll say more about that in a second. Here's a second observation I want to make, that humanity's diversity... In heaven is preserved not erased Um, that when we get to that place I don't know what you imagine heaven to be like but the the crowds of people that will gather around the throne of Jesus uh, will represent all of humanity's diversity somehow when John looks at this crowd that's worshiping Jesus um, he sees markers of their cultural identity that they had on earth Um, he sees their physical appearance the color of their skin, their language, their cultural customs, somehow all of this actually passes into glory. It's not erased by it. And this means that Jesus is redeeming what is good about their cultural identity, and he is bringing that actually into the eternal state of heaven. It's taken into the future kingdom. Um, this means that right now, one of the things that we can do to really prepare for that place in the future is to celebrate what's good in different cultures, right? To try to understand it, um, to enter into other people's stories because that's what heaven is going to be like. Now, elsewhere in the New Testament, there's a particular Greek word that's used to describe these groups of people. It's the Greek word ethnos, ethnos. Um, Sometimes it's translated nations, that's a little bit confusing in the English because when we think of nations, we think of political identities, we think of lines on a map, typically pretty big lines on a map, you know, big spaces of ground, and we think that's a nation, but when the Bible is talking about ethnos, it's often talking about a a very particular grouping of people. Um, that share certain customs or share certain language. So, even within one nation, there can be many, many different ethnos, different groups of people. And the scripture's testimony is that all of these groups are going to experience the salvation of Jesus, that Jesus is working among these different, even sometimes small groupings of people that represent different cultures. All right? Here's my third observation I want to make for you from Revelation 7 that there is this reference to suffering, that before the throne are not just, is not just like all this diversity and all of these groups of people, but there are also standing there those who have suffered for Christ, right? There's this reference to the tribulation. Now, uh, you can totally disagree with me on this, or maybe you've never thought about it before. Um, In my opinion, uh, in the West, or in American theology, there was kind of a theological, I I would call it an innovation, uh, that put the tribulation as a specific time, a very specific time of suffering that's at the very end of history before Jesus comes back. Uh, It's not wrong to believe that, but I just don't think that's honest with the way that the church has suffered over the last 2,000 years, Um, I would say this whole age of history that we're living in is the tribulation. Um, It's just that American Christianity has kind of been out of touch with that because we haven't suffered as much as our brothers and sisters. But I think about the places in the world I've been. I was in this, you know, in Sri Lanka one time with Steve and we were listening to the stories of pastors whose churches were burnt. We were praying for this young man who had been beat up by nationalists right before he came to the conference that we were leading. I think if you ask those folks, are you part of the tribulation or are you waiting for it to come? I think they would say it's here, right? <laughs> that, that they're experiencing it. Um, and so I think these references in the book of Revelation, um, I'm not saying suffering isn't going to get worse before Jesus comes. Um, it very well might. But I'm just saying that uh, Christians have been suffering this whole time since the earliest days after Jesus went back to heaven. But what we see here is that these people are worshiping. Um, Jesus. There's this inescapable theme um, of suffering in the book of Revelation and how God relieves the suffering of these people, rewards the suffering of these people. And these are folks who have resisted the devil, resisted empire to the end for the sake of Jesus. So these three things, Jesus is an exclusive universal savior, the humanity's diversity is preserved, and then there's this theme of suffering that I want you to pay attention to. Now, last week when we were talking about the image of God, I made a statement that I want to flesh out for you today. I said that if we are going to be a people on mission, a family on mission, that I think in 2021, one of the most important concepts that we can understand uh, is a concept called tribalism. So I want to flesh this out for you as succinctly and clearly as I can. It's okay if you have questions after this. And then we're going to go back to Revelation 7 and try to understand what Revelation 7 means for what I'm talking about when I talk about tribalism. But I think uh, it's going to resonate you. So when I use this word, tribalism, I'm talking about the current global era that we live in that's defined by three things. I'm going to break this down for you. The proliferation of tribes, of people, the organizing of one's life around tribal identity, and then the polarization between tribes. You may have no idea what I'm talking about, but I bet as I start talking about it, it's gonna resonate with you because you're seeing this in the news. So first of all, the proliferation of tribes. I don't know if you've noticed, but people today might identify themselves by any number of identity markers that intersect in their lives. So for instance, anybody might identify as male or female or another gender identity. As black, white, Asian, Native American, Latino, or another racial and cultural identity. Someone might identify as straight, gay, bisexual, pansexual, asexual, or another sexual identity. Someone might identify as upper class, middle class, poor, or another economic identity. Conservative, liberal, socialist, anarchist, fascist, or another political identity. Christian, Muslim, Hindu, Buddhist, Jewish, atheist, or agnostic, pagan, or another religious identity. Urban, suburban, oh, my notes just disappeared, just like that. Urban, suburban, rural, I knew that was next. <laughs> or, another, uh, or another, like, geographic identity. White collar, blue collar, unemployed, or another workforce identity. And, and then it can get even more specific. We can talk about skaters and gamers, musicians, visual artists, coin collectors, any number of identities that are formed around sports or that are formed around music. Just think about that alone. How whole cultures form around a certain style of music or a certain sport. Identity that's embedded in pop culture or that's connected to tattoos and piercings or veterans or hunting or any other number of hobbies. The list goes on and on. Does this sound familiar to you? Do you see these identity markers showing up in our cultural conversations? There are so very many markers today that people might use to identify themselves culturally. And it's often a mix of these different things. So when we talk about that Greek word ethnos in the scriptures, these cultural groups, um, we're often talking about how groups form around the intersection of the various aspects of people's lives. So for instance, a person might consider themselves a white, male, conservative, Christian, white-collar worker. But another might consider themselves to be a transgender, Native American, middle-class liberal or a female black lesbian agnostic gamer, or a non-binary pansexual socialist Buddhist skater, or a straight black male pagan conservative violinist, and the list really could go on and on. You see what I'm saying? So, the advent of the internet in the mid-90s, and then the advent of social media in the mid-2000s, And then the advent of smart devices, which I'm preaching off of today in the mid-2010s. And by the way, just to point out, this is one of the reasons we are in the midst of these cultural shifts. I think we forget that not everyone had smart devices. The first year that most people had smart devices was 2012. So we're only 10 years into this. We're figuring out what has happened to us, right? Um, But the advent of the Internet and then social media and then putting these resources into our hands... In smart devices has meant that people who have these very specific identities have been able to find community with each other These cultural identities may have already existed um, But if you were part of a group that wasn't in large numbers in small town in western, Pennsylvania You might not have been able to find community before But now through your smart device you can find community At the very least on the internet, you can find people who identify with at least many of your cultural markers, but now the internet lets us find people regionally too. So you might not be able to find someone who's like you in Alaquipa or Center, but you might be able to find someone who's like you in the city of Pittsburgh and find community. And I hope for the missional people in the room that when I say that people are looking for community, that there's something in you that rises up in compassion and sees an open door for the gospel, because people are lonely I'm going to say more about that in a second. So I know all of this can seem overwhelming, right? It's hard to keep up with all the words and all of the identities. And I think the temptation, especially for Christians, is just to write off all of these cultural identity markers and to say that it's silly. But we need to understand what's happening. If we're going to follow Jesus on mission, we need to understand that people are looking for community, they're looking for a place to belong. And we need to, we don't need to understand all of the cultural markers, because it is more than we can probably keep up with, but we do need to understand the meaning of the cultural markers of the group of people that we've been called to. So that's the first thing, the proliferation of tribes. There are more tribes on the earth today than there has ever been. And this isn't just an American phenomenon, that's happening globally too. Here's the second thing. The organizing of one's life around tribal identity. So every tribe of people at all the intersections of these identity markers have a story of where that tribe came from, what its struggles have been, what injustices it has experienced, who its heroes are, what it believes. This is what we call that tribe's narrative. It's often unwritten, but it's a powerful story that makes sense of that group of people's experience who live within that tribe. And a big change, if, if you are older, you probably really feel this in the American experience, a big change is that people no longer follow broad narratives. Like, there used to be a general sense of what it meant to be an American, for instance. It's like a really broad narrative. It's not what people are doing anymore. Um, instead, they're living their lives within a tribe And the narrative that they're following is that tribe's narrative. And they follow this narrative even more than they do specific leaders, um, even more than they do larger narratives that aren't part of that tribe. And here's something that might make sense of what you're seeing in the news. If even that tribe's leader speaks against that narrative, they get rid of them. Um, Even if someone says something that breaks that tribe's narrative, you're done. Uh, the popular term for this is cancel culture. But it's because people are so loyal to the narrative that their tribe is following. And by the way, that cancel, is so funny. Because all that's happening is tribes are accusing other tribes of doing the same thing. Um, there, you really would be hard-pressed to find a tribe that isn't doing this, even in Christian circles. Um, and so that leads to the third thing, which is polarization between tribes. Now, there's a reason why this is happening. The last few decades of American life have been defined, but it's really since the 1950s, but especially hitting the 1960s, by what I would call radical individualism. And that's the belief that what's most important in life is my choices, my happiness, my thoughts. The weight of everything is put onto me. But the problem is that weight becomes too heavy to bear. And over time that weight of everything being on the individual creates isolation and loneliness and so now the pendulum is swinging and People are really looking for community and they're finding it in these tribes on their smartphones And as these tribal narratives have grown stronger People now not only identify over what binds them together over what's common, but also over common enemies So part of the narrative is not just this is what makes us the same, it's here are our enemies, and we attack them together, we have nothing to do with them, it's happening on all sides. And this is why angry words and violence between tribes is growing, not just here, but globally. And I want to tell you, um, it will only grow in the future. Where all of this is headed is violence. Um, And this means that the art of being missional in the future, of following Jesus into the future, the people who are really in the groups of people that are really going to get to be used by Jesus in the future are people who know how to be peacemakers, are people who know how to do ministry in ways that do not pour gasoline on the fires that are between tribes of people. If we don't know how to do that, if we do ministry in ways, if we post on Facebook in ways that only stokes fires between tribes, I would argue we are not stepping with Jesus in this season because he has come to bring peace, right? He has come to bring reconciliation between these groups of people. It is peacemakers who will be used by Jesus in this next season. Okay, that's a lot, but are you tracking with me? Okay, good. So now let's just close by talking about this. Let's go back to Revelation seven. Jesus is on mission to the tribes. And let me tell you something, as an Alliance Church, we've been sending missionaries to tribes for forever. It's why we have these, uh, you know, flags up. This is like Missions 101. When I was growing up at this church, we would have these mission conferences, you know, and missionaries would come and they would talk to us about how they had become embedded into a tribe of people. Well, I would just say this is still what God is doing. God is sending his people uh, to tribes to love them. To care for them, to understand them, and to join Jesus in what he's doing. So when I read Revelation chapter 7, there's a question that rises up in my mind. I look at where we're at now with all of this division and all of this stuff happening between tribes. And then I look in the future Revelation 7 where somehow all of these tribes are around the throne. And somehow they are reconciled. And somehow Jesus has exerted his lordship over them. And it raises the question in me, how do we get from here to there? What's going to happen between now and then? Because that's part of the question of our life stories, right? Of answering what our purpose is, of answering how Jesus is going to use us. I look at our current situation, I look at that, and I want to locate where where I am in that. And so I think to get from here to there, it means that a few things happened between now and Revelation 7. First of all, it means that Jesus was at work among these tribes of people. He was at work among them. And I think he was doing two things. He was extending his love and calling people to himself, but he was also challenging the idolatries that were present in that tribe of people. Um, He was offering an alternative kingship, an alternative lordship in all of those tribes of people, but he was there extending his love. Listen to what I'm saying. There is not a tribe present that Jesus is not there doing something among them. And I think it means, it's so crazy that God uses us, but I think it means that between now and Revelation 7, that Jesus involved his people in this, that he invited us to find where he was at work among these tribes of people, and that somehow these tribes became reconciled with each other and under his lordship, that somehow these tribes of people worshipped him as savior. So I just want to end with these four statements. It's going to be really quick. First of all, let me point out that Jesus is working in your tribe. This ought to feel like good news to you. Jesus is working in your tribe. Whatever your tribe is, he's not just working with you as an individual. He's working in your tribe. I want to say, if you think you don't have a tribe, it probably means that you've been part of a very powerful tribe that has not really had to face the fact that it has a culture because everyone else has had to bend to its culture. Um, People who are part of less powerful tribes um, are faced with the fact all the time that they're in a minority. Um, And so they have to think about culture. They have to think about how people are the same and different. If you've never really had to face that, it just probably indicates that you've been part of a really powerful tribe of people historically. And I would say, if you aren't sure how... If you're unable to name the idolatries of your tribe, I would say you're probably participating in its idolatry. Let's just think about this politically for a second. We definitely have people at the gospel tab who would say their politics more aligned conservative or more aligned liberal. Um, I would say whatever camp you find yourselves in, if you aren't able to articulate right now, like if I asked you, if you're not able to articulate right now what the idolatries are of your political affiliation, you are probably participating in it. Um, Because the kingdom challenges all of these affiliations. The kingdom of God challenges all of this. Um, Jesus is contending that he is king in all of these tribes. And if you think your tribe in no way needs idolatries challenged, you probably think that Jesus is somehow supporting the idolatry of your tribe, and he isn't. Um, He is dislodging it. So if you can't answer that question right now, then there's some things to ask Jesus about. I can tell you a huge part of my discipleship was recognizing the idolatries that were in my tribe. So let's just look at some of the identity markers that I probably had growing up. White, male, suburban, evangelical, because even... The religious markers are filled with idolatries too. And a big part of my discipleship was Jesus challenging those things in me. It wasn't just personal sin, it was the sin of my tribe of recognizing where I was wrong for participating in these idolatries. But then the redemptive story is because my ethnic identity is going to make it into heaven. Do you hear what I'm saying? Because my ethnic identity is going to make it into heaven, it also means that Jesus is interested in writing a redemptive story about what it means for me to be male and white, and to have an evangelical background in the suburbs. Jesus is writing a redemptive story about that, and if you are part of a tribe, we're going to talk, Kiara and I are going to be talking about this more next week, but if you are part of a tribe that has historically experienced suffering at the hands of other tribes, then I want you to know that one of the most beautiful things that Jesus is going to do in your story is empower your ethnic identity for his service here on earth and take it into heaven to be celebrated. Um, Maybe it never got fully uh, celebrated. Maybe it never got fully affirmed here on earth, um, but Jesus is going to make that right in the future. So, what this means is that Jesus is not just working in my tribe, he's also working in the other tribe. Remember, we learned this language last week, this concept of the other, the person that we least culturally identify with. That person who is the other, whoever kind of makes your skin crawl and it's uncomfortable to be around them, that person doesn't exist in isolation, they exist in a tribe. And we see their idols so much better than we see our own idols, right? But Jesus is there working too. He's challenging He's extending his love. He is challenging their idols, but he's also cultivating good things in those places. He is there inviting us to join him in those places. And because he's there working, it means that Jesus today is deploying people. He's deploying us to tribes of people. Jesus has always been inviting his people to join him out there in the tribes. Like I said, this is Missions 101. So he invites us to join him where he's working and it might be outside of our own tribe, to learn the language and the culture there, to make friendships of mutuality in those places, to become weak among the people there so that we can make space for him to work his miracles in those places. And this means that an increasingly polarized, increasingly angry tribal culture, big probably can't be our mission strategy. Um, We have been sent to where the people are at. In American culture today, big is getting harder and harder. Um, As a matter of fact, the places that are the biggest, Facebook for instance, are the places that are also the angriest. Because the bigger things get, it's harder uh, to not have people just attacking each other. (laughs) You know what I mean? Um, And so this means that small is the strategy moving forward. Um, I I know leaders today who lead big churches in the United States that are wrestling with this question, um, recognizing how bigness is falling out of step with what's happening in our culture and asking how they can be small. Because people in those tribes, they're looking for community. They're not looking for a bland cultural experience that keeps everyone happy in a big room. Um, They're looking for community. They're looking to connect with people in particular ways. And this means that if Jesus is calling us to this, let's just think about this for a second, it means that we have to consider the meaning of the suffering in Revelation 7. I, I just want to push back on something. In a lot of reconciliation conversations that happen in our culture, the word safe is used a lot. And listen, we do want people to feel safe, particularly in our gatherings, um, particularly in our network, in the, places where, in the places where I lead, I want people to feel safe. As a matter of fact, Uh, We've said this before, but it's probably worth saying again, anybody is welcome here. But if you're here to hurt or abuse someone else, quite frankly, you're not welcome here. Like, I'll meet you somewhere else, and I'll only meet you somewhere else if my meeting you doesn't somehow give you credibility to keep hurting people. But I'll meet you somewhere else, but not here. Like, we do have to keep this safe. This is not a place. To abuse or hurt other people and I believe that with all my heart and yet on mission Jesus does call us to tribes of people that are not safe You shouldn't go there because of me You shouldn't have a lack of safety foisted upon you Uh, You shouldn't go there because your church told you to or your pastor told you to but if Jesus calls you to an unsafe tribe We do follow him in suffering into those places. I can't lie and tell you that part of the goal or part of the experience of seeing reconciliation happen among tribes is sometimes going to involve harm to us, especially as these tribes get more violent against each other. Part of being a peacemaker means that some of us will be called to put ourselves in harm's way to see the kingdom of God come. If God is bringing revival, I feel like I'm prophesying now, but if God is bringing revival to the North American church, and I believe that's what's happening, I want to tell you, it will not be without suffering. There is no way. There is not a place on the earth where suffering is not part of the story of revival. And it's because God's people put themselves in the places where the enemy is raging to divide people. So there may be a cost, but you will pay it for him. You won't for me. But Jesus is so wonderful, you shouldn't pay it for me, but Jesus is so wonderful, you'll do anything for him. You'll lay your life down for him. And so this is my last point. I'm going to be done. This means that Jesus is reconciling these tribes. And friends, he is not reconciling these tribes around a church or a denomination. He is not reconciling these tribes around the political ideology. See, we fight the wrong battles. Do you understand why the culture wars are so misguided? Because we're trying to get people to center around the wrong thing, the way that we vote or the way that we worship or the way, here's what all of All of history, all of the present is going to circle around a man named Jesus who declares himself to be king. That's the only way that reconciliation will happen. He's reconciling all of the tribes around him, the lamb who was slain, the king of all the tribes. The only way this gets accomplished is that at the end, all of these tribes, all these people who look different, who had different experiences, are worshiping this one person. Jesus the Christ who rescued them from their idolatry and called them into his kingdom. Amen? And we get to be a part of that.